Welcome to Bee's Estrogen Empire. The Estrogen Empire is a brand new series focused on breaking down various topics in women's health. It's time for us to create an empire of women who are informed and assertive and can advocate for their health and the health of women around the world. I'm Bee, the host of Bee's Estrogen Empire, and I'm very privileged to have a voice and feel confident enough to discuss these topics. I would like to take a moment to recognize that not all women have female anatomy, and not all female anatomy classifies someone as a woman. The Empire will use evidence-based information to guide topics and discussions. All references will be included in the show notes, and I'm so excited that you're here to join the Estrogen Empire and the movement that we are about to create. Welcome along. Hello everyone, happy Monday and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. You guys, the estrogen empire is back and I'm so excited to address a whole bunch of questions that you guys have. Although I initially started the estrogen empire series as part of a school project, as you guys know, the response I received from the series was so amazing and so positive. And I'm just really excited to continue this beyond my school project because I noticed a lot of you guys have a lot of questions. If you guys ever want me to talk about a specific topic in the podcast, just send me a DM on Instagram or join the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group. There's absolutely no stupid ideas, no stupid questions, and your feedback is so important to me. So if you guys ever want me to talk about any specific podcast, I would love to hear them because I am always looking for new ideas and new things to talk about. And obviously, I want to make podcasts that you guys want to listen to. So let me know what you want me to talk about and we can do all the things. If you aren't following the podcast or subscribed already, make sure you do that. Follow me on Spotify, Apple, um, Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to your podcast on so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. So how is everyone? How was your week? Seriously, let me know these things. I love hearing from you guys. I'm super active in my DMs on Instagram. And especially while we're all in um, like social distancing and isolation and all the things, um, just connecting with you guys and seeing how you guys are doing is really nice for me. If you know me personally, if you don't know me personally, let me know. How are you? Uh, This week for me, I really focused on doing a few different courses on Skillshare to sort of up my game and filmmaking and videography. I'm working on a video right now and I want to make sure it's perfect. So I focused on that a lot this week. I also focused on reading every morning for about 30 minutes before working out. Oh my God, the workout. Yeah. Um, I, I cannot forget about this. So I'm doing Odetta Casa's uh, 30 day total body transformation. It's going really well. We just finished week one and this morning we started week two and I'm feeling good. And I actually took some before pictures, which was super tough. Um, those pictures are the worst because you know, you're just standing there. You're not posed. You're not flexed. You're not smiling. It's just your body in its natural state. And yeah, taking those pictures was kind of hard, but I kind of had to shift my mindset and realize that I love that body in its natural state for what it is right now. And I love that body so much that I want to make it healthier. I want to make it stronger. I want to make it more mobile, fix my posture fix my spinal curvature. I love my body so much and I really want to take care of it. So hopefully the 30 days goes well and I don't die. (laughs) Odetta is super wild. Um, You guys should definitely follow her on Instagram. She is a fitness instructor at Sweat and Tonic, Equinox. She's just phenomenal and she's a great gal. Um, I know her through um, our undergrad in kinesiology yeah, follow her on Instagram. I'm hoping that I don't die. She's super intense. And yeah, so I'm kind of doing that 30 day transformation. It's kind of fun. It's keeping me accountable. It's giving me something to wake up to each morning and know that I have to do. Also during the quarantine, I have been watching a wee bit more Netflix than I typically would. Now I am definitely more of a YouTube gal. I can honestly say I don't really watch Netflix. I will try and watch Netflix every now and then. Like I've seen Stranger Things, I've seen Riverdale, um, but I tend to watch those like binge watch them over Christmas holidays. Like my sister and I watched uh, the entire second series or second season of You in like two days. Like it was ridiculous. But 
on a regular basis, I don't watch Netflix. I don't have shows that I watch or anything like that. Um, usually when I do go to watch Netflix, I have to call my mom and be like, what is the login? Because I don't even know. More of a YouTube gal. I'm sure you guys are getting getting the idea here. <laughs> but I've actually been watching a wee bit more Netflix lately, which has been fun. And one documentary that I watched was called Period End of Sentence. It's a short, uh, wee short film. It was only about, I think, 20 minutes long or so. And it was so short, but it was so impactful and so moving. And it was about the availability of period products or menstrual products in different countries and around the world. And it really focuses on this one group of women who decide that they want to make menstrual products more accessible in their community and it talks about how much stigma there is around periods and female anatomy that in some countries people who menstruate can't even access tampons or pads and it really pulled at my heartstrings and I would definitely suggest after you listen to this podcast go and check out that documentary on Netflix. It's crazy. And then one of my girlfriends actually recommended that I watch the vagina episode by the Goop Lab. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. It really opened my eyes to one, just the overall lack of knowledge about female sexual anatomy. And two, the stigma when it comes to being assertive, saying what you want, and saying how you feel. So yeah, that episode is super intense. Um, it's not too long. I think it's like 35 minutes long or so, like your your normal TV show. But it was a lot. There's a lot going on there. But it definitely sort of changed my perspective and changed my thinking a wee bit and also helped me put together this entire podcast. To be quite honest with you guys, it makes me genuinely upset how we're in 2020, yet so many women still don't know what birth control actually does to their body, how it works. Um, people don't know what the different vaginal discharge means, the different smell means. Um, they don't know the different phases of their cycle, what happens on what days, and people don't know what adequate hygiene is. And that when I sort of look into the research, I've pulled a lot of research papers that outline that there is a clear lack of knowledge amongst different cultures, different people, different age groups. And I think it's really important for people to understand like what's going on in their body, what is the constant cycle that is going on internally, and how can we sort of reestablish that mind-body connection so that we have a better idea with regards to what's going on in our own health and our own normal. Just a quick disclaimer, I'm not a gynecologist, although I would love to be. <laughs> I'm not a gynecologist. I do have an honors bachelor of kinesiology. I'm working towards becoming a certified doula, and I'm just super, super passionate about advocating for women's health and wellness, women with female anatomy, women with other anatomy, all and any women who classify as women. I'm here for you and I'm super, super passionate about these topics and just sort of increasing the awareness and education um, about these topics amongst a large group of people. That's what I'm kind of here to do. So as always, this podcast will use evidence-based research that I have pulled from PubMed and Scopus and Ovid, a lot of different um, research databases. Um, all of my references can be found in the show notes. And this podcast is not diagnostic criteria, but rather provided for advocacy and education. If you feel like any of the topics in this podcast really resonate with you, as always, consult with your primary healthcare physician or, you know, go online and do some of your own research. Uh, but just keep in mind, if you are doing research online, are you pulling them from an a peer-reviewed journal or are you pulling them from a random Google website? Just something to consider. So I popped on Instagram and I asked you guys what you wanted to know about vaginas, biological, female sex anatomy, periods, sex, all the things. And I have come to answer, hopefully answer your requests. I received a lot of questions about birth control, but in order to do that topic any justice, it would need to be its entire own episode. So a birth control episode will be coming in the future. Um, if you already have a bunch of questions about birth control, send them to me on Instagram or put them up in the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group and I will address those questions in an upcoming episode. But we're not talking about birth control today because it's such a broad and deep 
topic. So yeah, that's coming. But today we are going to seriously deep dive into the world of vaginas. We're going to talk about all the things. So in today's agenda, the first topic we are going to cover is anatomy, what things are what, where things are, and what they do. Um, The second topic is going to be the complete cycle. And no, we're not just talking about the period. We're talking about all phases of the cycle, the luteal phase, follicular phase, what the different discharge means, temperature changes, periods, literally all the things will be in the cycle section of the episode. And the third topic we are going to cover is sex, hygiene, uh, yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis. You guys, we're going in. I want you guys to finish this podcast feeling so informed about what's going on in your body and I want you to share this information with as many women as you possibly can. I personally believe that everyone deserves the bare minimum of education regarding what is going on with biological female sexual anatomy. I don't think that this knowledge should only be be available to those who have the school system to support them or those who have access to medical research journals. I think that this should be common knowledge. I think everyone should be able to access this information. So I strongly encourage you to share this episode with as many women as you can. You might not know the type of sexual education that they have received or they have not received. Um, You might not know the education that they've had from their parents or their family or their primary healthcare practitioner. So just send it around spread the knowledge, share the message, build the empire. I'm so excited about this episode, you guys. Welcome to Vaginas 101. Okay, you guys. So first thing on today's agenda, we are going to give a brief introduction into anatomy. Now, I understand that it can be hard to sort of talk about anatomy and have you understand it without that physical representation. Um, But I'm going to try and walk you guys through a wee bit of anatomy knowledge um, so that you guys have a better idea with regards to what is going on down there. I also want to give a quick disclaimer about porn. If you like porn, then you do you. But I think it's important to look at this growing platform through a critical scope. I think porn has really changed what we believe to be normal female sexual anatomy. And you guys know to vaginas, vulvas, lips, all the things no to look the same. Now, we have to keep in mind that people who are in these videos and photos online, um, they may have had different surgical enhancements. Um, that's their job. You know, that's how they make money. So they need to put money into looking great on these platforms. So just look at these through a critical scope and make sure that you always have it in your mind that nothing is the same. Everyone is super, super, super unique. Some people have really short lips. Others have longer lips. Some people's lips are different sizes. Some are the same. Some are pink. Some are red. Some are dark brown. Some are light brown. They are all very different. Now, speaking in anatomical terms, the term vagina only includes the birth control itself. The rest on the exterior that we can see is known as the vulva. On the outside of the of the vagina is where you will find the urethra, which is where you pee, um, the vaginal vaginal opening, the clitoris, and the lips. On the inside, about 2.5 inches in is where you will find the ever famous G spot. Um, It is on the anterior aspect of the vagina. So the side that faces the top of your body and it feels kind of like a raspberry. Now, like I said, all women are different. Some women have a very prominent G spot and others don't at all. Um, Some women can't even find their g-spot like i said it's on the anterior side so the roof uh the side most towards the front of your body um about 2.5 to 3 inches in Um, but that's not the same for everyone it varies significantly we will talk about the g-spot more and the clitoris more in the sex portion of the episode but i do just want to throw in a little bit of where they are located Before we talk about the cycle and sex and pain and all the things, it's really important that you understand the internal aspects and where they are situated in the pelvic girdle. Trust me, this is really important. 
The diagrams that we have been looking at, you know, since we had sex ed in grade four actually provide a really poor representation as to where the uterus and the fallopian tubes and the ovaries and all of the things sit inside of our bodies. Honestly, the day that I saw a 3D image of the uterus, it blew my mind because it looked so different than anything I had ever seen. Um, it's just it's just crazy. Like we see these 2D flat images of like what the uterus looks like and we think that that's the way that it actually sits in our body. And that's not the case. That is not the case at all. The way it actually sits in our body looks so different as to like it just looks completely different with regards to what we've been looking at for so many years. I posted a 3D uterus image in the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group, but I do have a quick wee exercise to sort of help you understand um, this concept and how things are sort of situated and sitting around in there. So first of all, I want you to raise your left hand or your right hand, whatever you feel like, I don't care, Um, but raise your hand as if you were going to raise your hand in class. So your palm is facing away from you. Uh, Your forearm is facing you. So, you know, you're just putting your hand up in class and that is how I want you to keep your hand. Now with your hand, make a fist. And then once you've made a fist, bend your fist forward at the wrist until you sort of reach your end range of motion. So for me, it's, you know, just above 90 degrees. So palm facing forward, make a fist, and then bend it forward. So this is actually how the uterus sits in your body, your arm being the vaginal canal. Um, This is not to scale whatsoever, but your arm is the vaginal canal, the wrist is where the cervix would be, and the uterus is that bent forward fist. Now with that bent forward fist, um, stick out your thumb and your pinky. These are the fallopian tubes. So I know that we have been taught um, to think if you bend that fist up, and stick out your thumb and your pinky like hang 10. This is how a lot of people think that the uterus and fallopian tube sits in the body. This is how I thought that it sat in the body for a very long time. But when once we sort of bend that wrist down, stick those out, that's actually a more accurate representation of how the uterus and the fallopian tubes are sitting in your body. Now with your other hand, take a fist, uh, make a fist again, and place it right underneath that first fist you made, right underneath that uterus that we made with your left hand. If you place your other fist right underneath it, that is where the bladder is. I know it's kind of hard to visualize, but if you just sort of imagine these two fists, uterus on top, bladder right underneath, fallopian tubes, we got the bend. That is how it sort of sits in your body. But like I said, I will put the 3D image on Facebook and I promise you it'll blow your mind because it blew mine. I showed my sister last night and she was like, oh yeah, that actually looks really different than what I thought it looked like. And last but not least, um, from an anatomical perspective, uh, I want you guys to understand that your uterus is actually made of the myometrium, which is the powerful uterine muscle that causes uterine contraction. And then on the inside of the uterus, we have the endometrium, which lines the uterus and provides that sort of nutrient-dense area for the fertilized ovum to attach and get you pregnant. But yeah, so we have the myometrium, which is the uterine muscle, causes powerful uterine contractions during childbirth and during a few other things that we are going to talk about in this episode. Now that we've got a better understanding of where and what things are, we are going to talk about the cycle up close and personal. Sorry, I had to take a quick pause there because someone in my home was vacuuming. If you can hear them vacuuming, I'm really sorry. Um, But anyways, we are going to talk about the cycle now. So the menstrual cycle begins at the time of menses or menarche, which is the first period that you experience. Typical onset is around 11 years old. However, some people begin their menstrual cycle earlier. Others begin later. It really, really varies, and it's very subjective to just who you are, um, how late your mom, how late or early your mom started, your sister, other people in your family. 
The absence of a period beyond the age of 15 is actually called primary amenorrhea. So although um, experiencing your first period later than the age of 15 is called primary amenorrhea, it doesn't automatically mean that you are unwell or you are unhealthy. It just means that you should have a wee chat with your doctor just to make sure that everything is going okay. But it's, it's a lot more common than we would probably think that it is. Our main concern, however, is actually known as secondary amenorrhea. Now, this is when you have been menstruating for some time and, you know, not not when you menstruate for the first time and then you don't get it for a wee while and it's super regular for the first few years. This is when you've been menstruating on a normal basis for a few years and then you either lose your period or your period doesn't come for greater than three months. Now, I know that not having a period for greater than three months sounds great. You know, it's such a hassle, right? However, missing your period can actually be associated with both intentional or an unintentional energy deficit. And this can have really negative ramifications for bone mineral density, um, the hormone secretion in your body, um, estrogen flatlining, There's a whole lot of things that are risk factors when we get secondary amenorrhea. So if you're listening to this and you were menstruating before and now your period is coming, you know, greater than three months apart, um, I would definitely encourage you to reach out to your doctor. Um, It might be that you're not eating enough. It might be that you're expending too much energy and then not fueling your body in accordance with how much you're expending. Um, Definitely chat with your doctor about it. It might be nothing. might be something, but it's worth looking into if you are experiencing secondary amenorrhea. Now, the typical menstrual cycle, complete cycle, is about 28 days long. Um, That's the mean, that's the average, but this can vary. Some people's cycles are 21 days long. Some people's cycles are 35 days long. This is is very subjective, um, but the average typical cycle is 28 days long. In the typical cycle, uh, days one to seven are known as the follicular phase. During the follicular phase, we get um, estrogen begins to rise, FSH and LH are pretty steady, and the ovum is sort of, or follicle is getting ready to be released out of the ovary, down the fallopian tubes, and into the uterus. On day 14 is when you ovulate. At this time, there is a large increase in estrogen, FSH, LH, and also a change in body temperature. So this is why basal thermometers are being used as a means of birth control, because people are tracking their temperatures every day, and they're looking for that spike in body temperature to determine when they've ovulated. This actually works really well. I I don't personally do this, but I have looked at a lot of medical research papers um, from the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology of America. And it's working really well for a lot of people because it's a thing. You do experience a rise in your temperature when you ovulate. And then um, when people notice that rise in temperature, they either use protected sex as a as a means of contraceptives or um, they go to abstinence during that ovulatory phase. Now, ovulation is marked by a very obvious fluid that is a vaginal discharge. Now, I know that we see these fluids in our underwears and we probably have no idea what they mean ever. So I'm going to tell you right now, this is super simple. I learned this in first year university in personal health uh, by my professor, Dr. Doug, the dude. I love him. Um, and then I also have a reference in the show notes if you want to look at a medical research paper about it. But um, there are two different kinds of vaginal dis- discharge. One is sperm phobic. It hates sperm. It doesn't want sperm. It just it's super, um, not super, it's a thicker type of discharge. Um, it's stickier. It's usually more white in color, not as see-through. And if you like press your, your pointing finger to your thumb, 
and pull it apart, it would be sticky between those two fingers. It's it's a thicker mucus. It's stickier. And that type of mucus does not like sperm. So this type of mucus is more prominent when you have not ovulated. Now, the second type of mucus is sperm loving. This type of mucus is a highway that says, get this sperm in me and get me pregnant. And this mucus is more watery. It's a, more clear. It's not sticky. And yeah, it's that highway to to get it in there. So it's more of like an aqueous solution. It doesn't usually have a smell at all, um, but it's very watery and fluid-like. If you start paying attention to you know what's showing up in your underwear, you'll quickly be able to realize the different types of mucus, the sperm phobic or the sperm loving. After ovulation, the endometrium, that that inner lining, um, it starts thickening and ripening and hoping to become a favorable environment for the sperm and the egg to nestle in and get you pregnant. This is called the luteal phase, um, and it's from days 7 to approximately day 28. Um, during the luteal phase, body temperature is a wee bit higher, progesterone increases significantly, and and the rest of the hormones stay pretty stable. Now, if an egg does not become fertilized, does not implant, uh, usually around day 28 is when menstruation starts to occur. During menstruation, the inner lining of the uterus, that thick, nutrient-rich lining that was made for the egg to implant, it's no longer needed if the egg does not implant. So at this time, temperature starts to go back down and the shedding of the nutrient-rich lining begins to occur. Everyone's period is very different and having a heavier flow or a lighter flow doesn't necessarily correlate with your health too much. Sometimes um, your period blood can be really light. Sometimes it's a wee bit darker and sometimes it's a very, very dark brown. What I would say is know what's normal for you, be familiar with what your period is usually is usually like, and if it suddenly changes or it doesn't seem right, um, or you know it's super light and it's usually super dark, or if it's usually a super light flow and now all of a sudden it's a super heavy flow, um, just pay attention to any changes. And if you do experience sudden changes, don't panic, just mark it down and have a wee chat with your doctor about it. So when we're shedding this lining, it's super important to know that the iron levels in our body drop a wee, wee, wee tiny bit. If you have normal iron, normal iron levels, that's such a weird thing to say, normal iron levels. It's like a tongue twister. then this may not affect you. But if you are on the lower side of things, you may experience some of the effects of anemia when you are on your period. This can be extreme fatigue, nausea, irritability. Um, If you are someone who experiences this, who gets that really fatigue, um, like weak feeling when you're on your period, I would try and avoid high intensity, super strenuous exercise because they're also is something known as exercise induced anemia and that is like your really high intensity hit training things like that um, and the two exercise induced anemia and your period together um, it may make you just incredibly tired if you experience this to a significant degree then definitely go and talk to your doctor about it Now, while the uterus is doing this amazing thing, it's shedding its lining, destroying your underwear and making your life super challenging. It's also hurting like a bitch. Some people experience severe cramps during their period where others hardly experience any. So what the heck is going on down there? When I was in elementary school, my cramps were so severe that some days I couldn't even go to school. They were absolutely awful. Now I'm 23 and I rarely, if ever, have cramps. Sometimes I'll get a wee tiny cramp in my mid-low like right in the middle of my lower back and it's like a pretty severe cramp and then it'll go away and the next day I'll get my period. But in terms of those prolonged cramps and needing heating pads and all the things, um, I'm super fortunate that I don't get those dull achy cramps anymore. So what I want to ask is, do any of you actually know 
why we get period cramps. Think about it. Do you know the exact mechanism that causes period cramps? I was curious with regards to if people actually knew this, and I actually did pull some information um, from a few different medical research journals, and it appears that a lot of women are unable to identify what causes period cramps. And for me, this is a really challenging concept to deal with because so many women experience really, really, really severe cramps every single month, but they don't actually know the mechanism that causes the cramps. This is a gap in our knowledge, in what we're teaching people, and just our overall mind-body connection. So I went on Instagram and I asked my followers if they knew what caused um, period cramps. And I got a lot of different answers. Um, I'm not trying to make anyone feel like they're stupid. I'm not saying that you're stupid. I'm not saying that you should know these things. I'm just pointing out that maybe we're not educating people well enough to understand these things. So some people said um, maybe it's because we're getting rid of, you know, big blood clots that have to pass through. And those big blood clots, you know, going through the canal is what causes the pain. Um, People said because the lining of the uterus is sort of pulling off that that's what causes the cramps. Um, Some people say that the lining of your uterus is tearing and that's what's causing cramps. Uh, Someone said not having enough sex. Someone said the devil himself is inside of you and hurting you. Um, other people said that, you know, the uterus is expanding, um, and that's what's causing the cramps. So very few people actually got the answer right. And the correct answer is that period cramps are caused by muscle contractions. Remember when we talked about the myometrium, the uterine muscle responsible for contraction? This muscle is actually contracting when you're on your period to help you expel that lining, which is why we feel cramps and why we feel pains. Just like when you have prolonged contraction of your quads or your calves or your abs, you get sort of sore and achy. And this is what's happening internally at the level of the myometrium. Now, if you're someone who experiences really, really severe cramps, this can be indicative of a condition known as endometriosis or uterine fibroids and various other conditions. But my general rule of thumb and what I've pulled from the research is that if your cramps are so severe that they interfere with your everyday life, it's time for you to see a doctor. If your cramps leave you feeling sick, immobilized, or ill every single month, you need to see a doctor, force them to take you seriously, and let them know that suffering is not part of the normal human condition. Now, what causes these contractions? Prostaglandins, which are hormones, they facilitate this uterine contractions. And when your hormone levels are too high or maybe they're a wee bit out of whack, they can cause a hypertonic nature um, or causing the uterus to overcontract. So more hormones, more contraction, um, and that can cause really, really painful cramps. Everyone's hormone levels are slightly different and everyone's musculature is also different. Pain tolerance is different, which can partially explain why some people have severe pain and why others have hardly any pain. Like I said, if your period cramps are so severe that they interrupt your daily life, then that deserves medical attention and you should definitely chat with your doctor about that. For those sort of minor upsetting cramps that come and go, they don't alter your life too much, they're not too severe, um, I would always recommend a gentle stretch to get your body into that parasympathetic tone and release some of the tensions of the supporting tissues in the pelvic girdle that might be impacted. Also, I swear by this shit, you guys, I have made myself a wee tiny rollerball with some essential oils in it, and it feels like a warm hug. And if I ever, you know, rarely get those sort of dull, achy cramps, I just roll this rollerball right below my belly button onto my belly, and my period doesn't bother me anymore. If you guys want to know what essential oils I use for period support, shoot me a message. I promise you guys it has changed the game for me. Now, what causes bloating when you're on your period? 
Again, I know that a lot of people um, experience bloating when they're on their period. So I wanted to know what my followers thought um, causes bloating because it's a very common thing. So my followers thought that bloating was caused by sort of the overeating and cravings that you experience when you're when you're on your period. Um, another person said that the bloating is caused by diet. Someone said that bloating is caused by Satan. Honestly, yeah, girl, I'm here for you. Um, and others said that it was caused by hormones. And other people said that they literally have no idea. Now, my findings just through my Instagram stories are directly reflected within the research that a lot of women can't actually identify or attribute what causes bloating when you're on your period. So there are hormonal changes that can cause like there are hormonal changes when you're on your period that can cause your body to retain some water and salt, which partially explain, explains the bloating. Also, your uterus actually experiences a change in its natural position. So it tends to sort of stand up a wee bit. Remember, we bent that fist forward. Um, it tends to stand up a wee bit more to benefit from gravity, uh, pulling things along and helping benefiting the emptying of the uterus and getting rid of that lining. So when the uterus stands up a wee bit more, there is a wee bit of displacement of the other tissues and all the other things that are in your pelvic girdle, shifting them a wee bit forward and causing the bloating. It's actually a pretty crazy phenomenon. I learned it again with Dr. Doug in personal health in first year. It blew my mind. Um, in general, a lot of people will try and sell you products to reduce period bloating um, and reduce the discomfort. I would say um, a slight bit of, if your bloating is slightly uncomfortable, a wee stretch, a gentle massage, and some essential oils for sure. Um, but if your bloating is, you know, extremely severe and it's disrupting your life, consult your doctor about it, have them take them seriously, and just have a wee chat about what is going on. Okay, you guys, we're on to the third topic in the agenda, um, which is topic number three, sex, hygiene, yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, all the things. So one of the most common questions I got on Instagram, now this was asked by multiple people, was actually about the G-spot, not being able to orgasm, ETC. So like I said earlier, the G-spot is about 2.5 inches inside of the vagina on the anterior wall, and it's sometimes round, sometimes flat. It feels kind of like a raspberry, uh, but it's in there. And actually, only about 18% of women can achieve orgasm via penetrative sex with um stimulation of the G-spot. So if you aren't able to achieve orgasm through penetration, do not worry. You are not broken or insufficient or incapable. It's just that this kind of stimulation isn't the stimulation for you and for your body. And that's okay. More commonly, women experience orgasm via direct or indirect stimulation of the clitoris. I know a lot of women struggle with being assertive and asking for what they want, but if vaginal stimulation isn't doing it for you, simply ask your partner for something else. And there's absolutely no shame in self-exploration. Figure out what works for you, what you are able to. If you're able to figure out what works for you, um, then you are able to provide that information to a partner and then enhance the experience for yourself and for you both as a couple. So for some people, um, clitoral stimulation alone is great. Um, for some people, G-spot stimulation alone is also great. Um, some people require a combination of both for them to get to their climax, and that is okay. If you, if you require uh, a wee bit more work to get there, there is absolutely nothing wrong with your body. You're not incapable. You're not insufficient. Insufficient. We are just all very different. We all require different kinds of attention and different kinds of stimulation to get to where we want to go. And if you are currently on the path of figuring out what that attention and what that stimulation is, be patient with yourself. You're going to figure it out. You're going to learn. Um, you and your partner can work through that together and just figure out what works for you. If you absolutely never, ever, ever 
orgasm or get there and you are worried that there may be an issue, definitely speak with a sexual health gynecologist just to make sure that everything is okay medically. Another thing that you can try that is supported in the research is to meditate before sex so you get into the right mindset. Um, You're nice and relaxed. Um, You're more open, if you will, and honest with your partner. Um, Never fake an orgasm, gals. We are so beyond that point in the world. We're better than that. You don't need to do that. And um, something else I would recommend is to try goldenrod essential oil. Apparently, it's phenomenal and really enhances the sexual experience for both partners. Um, But yeah, just know that everyone's different. Everyone requires different work to get to where they're going. And, you know, if you can't orgasm with one type of stimulation or the other or both, um, you might just have to put a wee bit more work into figuring out what works for you. And if you feel like you absolutely can never get there, talk to your doctor about it and just be honest and open. And I know it can be nerve wracking to have these conversations, but that's the only way that we're going to get to where we need to go. In terms of squirting, again, porn and media has put this idea in our head that squirting is this amazing thing. And those who cannot or do not squirt are therefore inadequate. Well, because of the total and complete phenomenon of squirting, We actually don't know an accurate number um, of how many women squirt. It's estimated between 10 to 50%, which is a huge amount of variability. So I think it's pretty safe to say we don't know. Some women randomly begin squirting at different ages of their life and then it goes away again. Um, Squirting also doesn't come from the vagina. It comes from the urethra, um, but it isn't urine. It's actually an aqueous solution that's fairly clear, sometimes milky. There can be tons, there can be a wee bit, there can be none at all. Um, But some people have suggested that Squirting is actually a sign of urinary incontinence, but recent research has actually actually completely ruled out this claim because the fluid coming out has little to no urine in it. So if you aren't someone who experiences this fluid rush, don't worry, your body isn't broken in any way. And if you are someone who experiences this fluid rush, There's nothing to be ashamed of. Just be open and honest with yourself, open and honest with your partner and explain the knowledge that you have about it so both of you can gain a better understanding about it. If you are experiencing urinary incontinence during sex, during orgasm and those things, chat with your doctor or a pelvic floor physiotherapist just to see um, if there's something on something else going on and see if you can sort of rehabilitate those muscles to become stronger so you aren't experiencing urinary incontinence. The sooner you act in cases of urinary incontinence, the better your prognosis. Okay, next up, let's talk about hygiene. Now, I did receive quite a few questions on Instagram. Also, if you send me questions on Instagram, thank you. Because I know that talking about things like this, very, very personal things can be really, really hard. Um, I did tell you guys that your comments and your questions would remain completely anonymous. I'm not going to be sharing them with anyone other than myself. Um, But thank you for asking these questions and answering my questions. Um, I know that's a really hard thing to do. And I can tell that just by opening up to me that you guys trust me. And thank you. That makes me really happy. But yeah, anyways, side note. (laughs) I did receive some questions on Instagram about pH and hygiene and those sort of things. And I'm just going to let you guys all in on a little tiny secret. Your vagina is a self-cleaning organ. That's right. It'll clean itself. If you have sex and there's maybe additional internal fluid... It will eventually flush itself out. It is a self-cleaning organ. And never, ever, ever put any water or soap, um, anything of that sort up there. Clean the outside as you normally would any other body part with just a mild soap. Never be putting that soap internal. Um, Don't spend an excessive amount of time scrubbing down there because that will actually throw off the pH, the natural flora, and cause 
issues. Just clean it as you would any other body part. Um, you know, you wouldn't scrub the skin off of your face um, or you wouldn't scrub all the natural oils off of your face. So don't do that to your vagina and your vulva. One issue that can happen with sort of overwashing is yeast infections. We've all heard of these. We know what a yeast infection is. It's basically an overgrowth of the healthy bacteria and it can cause extreme discomfort. Yeast infections can also be caused by antibiotics as they act to kill all the good and bad bacteria, the good and bad flora within your body. So if you are taking antibiotics at any time, one, remember that antibiotics make birth control less effective, and two, um, supplement with a probiotic to sort of help keep the good flora going. Yeast infections are not a sign that you are dirty by any means. They're just a sign that something has thrown off the flora and the bacteria and something's thrown it off. It can be a sign um, that bacteria from foreign places, I'm not going to, you guys can fill in the blanks, bacteria from other places are finding their way into the vagina. Um, and it can also be a sign of overwashing. The issue with, another issue with overwashing is bacterial vaginosis, urinary tract infection, and more. So like I said, general rule, soap on the inside is okay, but don't strip it of its natural mucus and flora. You wouldn't scrub it, a scrub away at any other area of your body, so don't do it to your vulva and vagina. And always pee after sex. I don't really know why this works, but it does. And please, for the love of God seriously, you guys, change your underwear after every single workout. There are no exceptions with this one, you guys. Change your underwear after every single workout. Okay, you change your clothes, you apply deodorant, you wash your face, you change your shirt, change your underwears after you work out. Or if you're someone who is super on the go and maybe you don't have time and yada 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 you can always use a super thin panty liner and then after you work out remove that panty liner if you're someone who works outside and you are sweating a lot don't let your gal sit in sweat all day um, change that panty liner throughout the day to sort of keep it nice and fresh and prevent an overgrowth of bacteria you wouldn't force the rest of your body to sit in its own sweat so don't do that to your gal pal. This can cause issues with smell, yeast infections, and so much more. I want to briefly touch upon the idea of smell. Now, the smell of the vagina, it varies significantly. Every woman, every woman or every person with a vagina has their own smell. In general, know what's normal for you. If you're experiencing a strong scent that is abnormal and you you haven't been sweating, you haven't been exercising, and it's just out of the blue and you're like, wow, it really, really smells all of a sudden, chat with your physician about it. Be open. Get that conversation going and know what's normal for you. To sort of wrap up this podcast and bring all the things together, I will be putting up a graphic in the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group to help you guys remember some of the major points because I feel like I chucked a lot of information at you guys throughout this podcast. So yeah, there will be a graphic coming in the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group um, just to sort of help you guys remember all the things. But I really want to outline that there is a clear knowledge gap regarding biological female anatomy, reproduction, and sexual function. For example, I didn't know the majority of the things that I just told you guys until I either went to university and took personal health or until I took a women's health class in my fifth year of university at the age of 23. This means that these things were all left out of prior sexual education that I had. And I think that's a major issue. We need to encourage women and people with biological female anatomy to sort of speak more openly about their experiences, their questions, and their functioning. We also need to realize that everyone with a uterus and a vagina deserves underlined bold exclamation point deserves the basic knowledge with regards to what is going on down there. It's incredibly complex, but it's a sequence of beautiful events and actions that take place in synchronicity and we need to know what's happening. 
That way, if we experience pain, ailments, itchiness, swells, um, swells, smells, bloating, and other abnormalities that just don't make sense, we can talk about it. But unless we sort of know our normal and know what's going on for us, then we won't be able to identify abnormalities. It's time we start educating people with what's going on in their bodies, not only to increase awareness, but to rebuild that mind-body connection. There are so many things that happen, and yet we are so unaware and uninformed and uneducated in these topics that we have lost that really important connection between the body and the mind. I just think it's crazy that women experience cramps every single month but can't actually articulate what causes them I don't think this is this is at fault of the person I think this is a huge flaw in our systems structures and cultures that we have socially constructed so much shame and embarrassment about biological female anatomy and reproduction that no one talks about it so what can we do I think we as a society can help deviate from talking about menstruations and periods and sex as a taboo topic. Have natural conversations with your friends, your kids, and other people with female anatomy in your life and let them know what you've learned. If your friend is complaining about painful periods or having issues during sex or whatever it may be, let them know what you know. Um, Once we get people to be more open about it, we can reduce the stigma, the shame, the guilt, and the embarrassment around these topics. And more importantly, and I know this has come up several times during this podcast, is know your normal. Everyone's normal is different. But if we reestablish that mind-body connection and know what is normal for you, when things deviate from that normality, you can go to your doctor and be your own advocate. When you advocate When you advocate for your own health, I guarantee you someone who is not as courageous as you maybe doesn't have the resources or the ability to sort of speak up and advocate for their own health. When you advocate for your own health, someone else is going to thank you. Definitely watch period end of sentence on Netflix. It is super, super moving you guys. And I think it's a really important documentary. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I strongly encourage all of you to share this episode on your Instagram story. You have no import, you have no idea how important this may be for someone who has grown up in a conservative family or didn't receive formal sexual education. Um, So share it, get it out there, spread the message, share the knowledge, build the empire. It is a beautiful life.